Turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We turn again to the subject of love here in 1 John. And uh, literally the last time uh, I preached two weeks ago, uh, we were on the subject of love in 1 John. And uh, I told you that time that was the fifth time. <laughs> so now we're on the sixth time of talking about love in these five four, uh, short chapters here from John. But one thing I want to point out to you that I think is really important um, is this actually probably isn't a sixth time of him talking about love. This is probably still the fifth time. You understand that chapter divisions are a later addition to the Bible. And right before chapter 5, I personally don't actually see a subject break, like a, a change. He might uh, shift gears a little bit in the, the, the focus on love, but really, he's been talking about love for one another, Christians' love for one another, since verse 7 of chapter 4. And so, really, if you, if you were to read it, it would probably, uh, like if I were to make the chapter break, I would put the uh, chapter 5 after verse 5, uh, rather than where it is now splitting up uh, chapter 4 there. And, and that's really, really important, uh, because... There, there's these different statements that John sort of stacks on top of one another. And if we don't realize that they relate to that love for one another, that they're showing genuine love for one another, um, then we can kind of miss the main thrust of, of what he's saying here. So we, we begin here with verse uh, 1. And, and he's kind of giving us a foundational statement. This is one that he's repeated all through the book. Uh, there, there in verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now, those aren't two separate categories, I hope you understand. Those who have been born again and trust in Jesus and those who love the Father. Those are, that's just two different ways of describing the same group of people. So you could say it this way. Christians are those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's what he says there, uh, who has been born of God. And then Christians are those who love other Christians. It says, loves whoever has been born of him. Now, th those two statements that I just made, uh, one is a causal statement. You become a Christian when you believe in Christ Jesus. But then the other one is caused be when you've trusted in Christ Jesus, when you have become born again a lover of God, you then become someone who loves 
all the other children of God. And all the children of God are just all other Christians, those who have been born of God. And so this is sort of a foundation point, and it's one that's been um, repeated um, over and over again. <clears throat> Excuse me, over and over again uh, in, in, the, in 1 John. Um, I've got a bunch of examples of this, this same sort of thing being said. Uh, I'll, I'll read just a couple for you. There in chapter 2, it had said, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the dark darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has, blind, has blinded his eyes. I'll, I'll move forward here. It says in chapter 3, 14, these are up on the uh, screen. It should be, yep. Um, it says here, 314, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so, I mean, there are more examples of this that I've got up here that I'm not going to, to read right now. Uh, but it's this very plain idea that, that John is just beating this drum that if you do not love your fellow Christian, at the very least, I mean, by the way, we're commanded to love our enemies, right? I keep trying to repeat that. Love our enemies, love, love the, the, the saved and love the unsaved. But his point is, if you can't even love your fellow Christian, those who have also been born of God, you cannot be saved. It is entirely incongruent. It does not fit with being born of God and being an unloving person to fellow Christians. Now, we're not talking about 100% perfection uh, in the way we love others, but there's this pattern in your life that you love others. You seek their highest interest, their highest good. Now, what's important now is uh, here, here in uh, verse 2. Look at the, the beginning of verse 2. I don't know if I have a slide for that. Yeah, I do. By this, we know that we love the children of God. I remember the first few times I read that verse, I'd say, man, my Bible got it backward. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His I'm thinking, no, no, I'm supposed to know that I love God because I love the children of God. But that is not what John is doing here. It says very clearly there, by this, we know that we love the children of God. So what he's about to do in these next uh, four verses is he's going to explain this is what true love for the children of God looks like or what it is, what it consists of. And this is so important because love for our fellow Christian proves whether or not we are truly saved. But there, there's kind of uh, some problems here. I think about, you know, why do we even need these tests? Why, why do we even need these tests to know, what, you know, do I, do I really love the children of God? Do I really love fellow Christians? I thought of a few reasons. I mean, you could probably think of more reasons why we need the, this test, why uh, John's uh, people need, needed these tests. First one I, I could think of is that it is common. I mean, it is common for people to claim to be loving, to imagine themselves to be loving. I think they genuinely imagine themselves to be loving yet to not actually be loving. 
It's like they've created this fairy tale in their mind that, oh, yes, I'm just such a loving person to everyone. But everyone on the outside is like, I don't think so. You know, and you can hear it in the way they talk sometimes. Uh, I'm not trying to be mean about it, but like you can hear it in the way they talk. Like, I'm like, man, you really think that you are and act <laughs> differently than you really do. And so uh, we, we need tests. A second reason that I can think of, and we'll see this even in our verses, is the things that God calls truly loving and what the world says is loving are often two very different things. What God says, this is love. This is what it is to love one another. And what the world says is love for uh, uh, one another are often two very different things. And so if you are only following the definition of the world standard of love, then you are not actually showing proof of salvation because God says you'll love one another like this. And you remember, we learned last week, God is love. God is the definition of love, and love is from God. Love is implanted in us. So the idea there, again, once God gets to define what this true love is, that shows, proves whether or not we're truly saved. And by the way, again, we're talking about proof, not, not purchasing. It's not that I love other people in order to become saved. It's I should love uh, other Christians because I am saved. But anyways, again, why we need this test to know if we're, we're truly, um, you know, showing this proof. A third reason is you can do an act of love. We might, we might call, it, call it an act of kindness, an, an act of generosity or something like that. You can do an act of love, but do it in a very unloving way. And so the question is, is it still love? If you did the act of love, the outward act of love, yet you did it in such a way that the person didn't feel loved, that they felt like a, a burden, like a hindrance, like an annoyance to you. Finally, the, the, I want to uh, add this, is you can fake love for others for selfish reasons. It's, it's not that hard to, to fake love for, for other people for selfish reasons. Oftentimes in the Bible, that's called partiality. You're, you're showing love and kindness to them because of what they can give you in return. But we can do this for, for whatever reasons. We might just want to look good, you know, be, be, be impressive by our love. You can fake love for selfish reasons, but that love will always turn out to be hollow, short-lived, and destructive. You won't be able to keep up the act. You, it just can only last so long. And in the end, the fact that you were faking love that entire time and then that love terminates um, when you can't keep up the act anymore, it will actually be destructive. Because it's like, well, this person claims to be a Christian and they seem to be a loving person. And then now they've done this horrible thing. They've blown up on me or whatever. And it actually ends up being more destructive than if we never faked love in the first place. Because it hurts more at that point. So this is why we need the test, Okay. And, and I hope you see that in the text. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. And so what follows is going to be, here's what love, the love that we're talking about, that actually proves your salvation looks like, what it consists of. And here's the beautiful thing that I want to point out, by the way, because I, I don't want this to be so sterile. Here are the facts. Here's what love looks like. God is love, 
And God is infinitely glorious and beautiful. The love of God is glorious and beautiful and harmonious with this world that he has made. And so if we have this true love that comes from God, that's implanted in us, that's energized by the work that Jesus did on the cross, the love he's shown us, if we have that love for others, it will make our world and the world of those around us far more beautiful and harmonious. Like when we're expressing the image of God, when we're, when we're reflecting God, it is a far more beautiful, helpful thing than any sort of fake love. And so I, I just want to remind you of that, like, this is, this is the facts. This does show whether or not you're saved, but it's also a very good thing because this type of love is beautiful. This type of love builds up. This type of love causes cohesion and harmony. This is a good thing. So we want this. We want this in our lives. If we don't have it, we, we're thankful if we do have it because it means we're saved. But then we want to even grow and, and, you know, pursue this type of love even more because it is the love that comes from God. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, the, the first point I want to give you is we love others, this true love, the type of love that, that uh, proves salvation. We love others when we love God most. We love others genuinely, truly best when we love God most. I see that in verse 2. Again, I've got it up there on the screen, but you can see it in your Bibles too. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Man, what an interesting statement. (laughs) It, It really, like, you have to say, are you sure that that's the way that it works? Yes. By this, we know that we have true, genuine, brotherly love, love for our fellow Christian when we love God. And it will go on, of course, to give us more. But let's pause here and think about this for a moment. What this means is not just that we also love God. It means that we love God most. We love God more. That that God is our most prized possession and our greatest treasure. More than other people even are to us. Now, I've got two very good reasons, I think, uh, why this, this um, proves whether or not it's the right kind of love, and it'll be a better love. First, if you love a person more than you love God, it proves that you're not truly a Christian. And therefore, you are not truly born again, and you therefore do not have God's love implanted in you. His divine love cannot be flowing through you if you're not truly a Christian and you won't uh, love people more than God if you're truly a Christian. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. That is a startling statement. I mean, this is our father and mother, right? The ones who brought us into the world. Honor your father and mother. Children, obey your parents, but love God more. Children, these are these these children that God has fashioned in the womb that he has brought into our lives. And we, we love, we adore children, but you better adore God more. Because why? To love that person more than God is to exchange the creator for the creation. 
I love things that God has created more than I love God. And if that's truly who we are, the pattern of our life at our core, we are not, we've not yet been made worthy of him, if you will, using Jesus' words. He's not worthy of me. We, we still have an idol problem. We are still in rebellion against God because the definition of sin is loving anything or anyone more than God. So we're not born of God if we uh, don't love God most, so we can't have this born-again love. But the second reason is a little more practical. Uh, it is just an outworking. Loving someone more than you love God is going to make you needy. It's going to make you a needy lover rather than someone who loves from overflow. Okay, I'll, I'll try to explain this. But, but loving people more than you love God, caring more about people more than you care about God, is actually going to make you needy and mess up your ability to love them Rather than if you love God most and care about God most, you will be loving from overflow. I, I think about this uh, from my own life. I was trying to think of an example, and usually if it's a bad one, I'm a pretty good example of it. So um, from my own life, I think about in middle school and high school. I, I just remember those ages more than elementary. So I, I think back there, and you're going through a lot in middle school and high school. <laughs> you know, I'm so thankful not to be back in those days. But I don't think I was a very loving person back in, in middle school and in high school. I think that I loved people more than I loved God. I cared more about other people than I cared about God. And I definitely cared more about what people thought about me than what God thought about me. And that's, that's what the distinction here is. I spent so much of my time and my energy trying to impress people, trying to be, you know, over-the-top kind to people, and it actually becomes annoying to them as you're, you're always catering to them. I mean, I literally would try to change who I was, the way that I acted, so that other people would like me and love me because I loved them, because I uh, was, was more worried about what they thought than what God thought and, and so this is kind of how it would go, is um, I would be pandering to them, and it would be annoying, or I'd be trying to impress them, and it would be annoying. And because I'm trying to get this love from them, but it's annoying them, I actually then become sulky and depressed because I'm not getting the love and like that I you know, want in return. So I'm either annoying them, or I'm depressed and sulky, and, you know, and don't talk to me, you don't like me anyway. You know, I never actually said that, but, you know, that, that was the general disposition. But that's how it works. The, by the way, I mean, I, I thought about using the example that uh, Terry gave. We had small group the other day in the gym, and he was talking about um, someone that he knows that he's like, man, it's like hard to be around him because he so desperately needs to be liked and loved by you. It's actually hard to be around him because he's so focused on himself and whether or not he's being accepted and loved by you that it's super annoying. He's very kind, but it's coming from a, a place of selfishness. That is not what we want to be. What John is saying is that we are to find our greatest satisfaction in God. We're to look at the love that he has for us, most specifically the love that he has shown for us in sending his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins, then raised from the dead so that we would die to sin and have new life and be with him for eternity and, and in that fatherly love. 
When we are looking to God, when we love God, when we care about God most, when he is our treasured possession, our love tank is full. And so we're able to love people from overflow, not trying to get something out of them. And that's important because you say, well, isn't that like not loving to someone to love God more than them? And so you're still loving them, but you're loving them because you love God. It's better. I'm telling you, it's better. It doesn't cheapen your love for them. It, it actually increases the value because you're no longer begging. You're no longer needy, needing something from them. You're able to actually love them in a pure way from the overflow of love you have for God. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God. That's our, our first Thing. And so I would just ask you, because this is whether or not you're really saved, you might feel like a loving person, but you are not a loving person if you actually love people, treasure people more than you treasure God. Do you treasure God above all else? The next test or next phase of the test that he gives us is this. Number two, we love others when we obey God's commands, <clears throat> excuse me, we love others best, we love others most genuinely, most truly, in a way that proves our salvation when we obey God's commands. We see that again in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. <clears throat> this could mean a handful of things. Uh, this could simply mean that, like, yes, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus said that several times, and uh, John has been showing that a handful of times in this letter. But remembering that we are in the context of relationships, in the context of love for one another, what I, what I think John is, is more saying here is, number one, you won't uh, sin in that relationship, you won't be committing sin in that relationship, but you also won't allow that person who claims to be a believer to be walking in unrepentant sin. You say, well, why not? Well, because you're commanded not to let them walk in unrepentant sin. Part of you obeying God's commands within a relationship with, with fellow Christians is is not letting them walk in continual rebellion against God. Now, I just want to say something real quick. This is not what the false teachers were saying in John's day. John is having to correct what the false teachers were saying. The false teachers <clears throat> were saying, oh, it doesn't matter if you sin. It doesn't matter what we do with our bodies as long as our hearts are with God. You know, it's just over-spiritualizing things. And, uh, and so to, to them, they would say, you, it's not loving for you to call out these other people on their sin. What you should be doing is affirming them and accepting them and supporting them and whatever they want to do. Whatever makes them most happy, you should be affirming that, and that's what's truly loving. That, that's kind of what the, the motif of what was going on here. And so this was confusing for, for the uh, people in John's church. They say, well, you know, I'm trying to love my fellow Christian, but these people are saying, no, it's not loving to call people out on their sin. It's not loving to exhort and encourage people in the right way. And by the way, 
um, I, I mentioned this, and I, I want to, you know, think, think about it for a moment, because this is what they were saying in John's day, almost 2,000 years ago, and this is exactly what our world, our unchristian world, is preaching hard, and this is exactly what many, many churches are preaching, and Christian leaders are writing books and doing, you know, podcasts of like, this is what's loving. What's loving is to affirm people to make sure you don't hurt their self-esteem. We, we just want to make them feel good about whatever path they've chosen. That, that is, I mean, largely the, the mantra of our day, and it, it is uh, lies from the devil. Think about this. Is it good to affirm people in their sin to help their self-esteem. Is their self-esteem, you know, increasing their self-esteem and not making them feel guilty, is that the highest good? I think about what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says. It says there, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of, he of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says there, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I think again, <clears throat> this one is, is really good. It's, this is going to be a long little reading I'm going to do. Uh, not really, but um, it, it just nails this so well. Ephesians 5, 1 uh, to 14 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it says there, be imitators of God. If you're truly born again, imitate God. Be a lover the way God is a lover. <coughs> Excuse me. But then it goes on to say this. So right after commanding us to love, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Listen to this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Love God and obey and keep his commandments. Do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Listen to this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. That becomes visible is light. So what we have here is this teaching that self-esteem is not what people most need. That it is not the highest good just to pat people on the back and say, well, that's your choice. You know, that's the lifestyle you've chosen. <coughs> 
Because basically, if, if we're doing that, if we're saying, go ahead, keep walking in these patterns of sin, we are patting them on the back as they walk to hell. That's, that's not loving in my book. In my book, that sounds like hatred. We might as well say, darn you, you know, <laughs> I want you to go to hell. We might as well say that if we pat people on their back as they walk in sin, especially those who, you know, who claim to be Christians and they're walking in patterns of clear sin. Rather, the Bible says, uh, Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This, there's a good thing here. This is exhort them. Yeah, that kind of hurts sometimes. But it's so that you don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, I think of uh, Matthew 18. He says, if your brother, Matthew 18, 15 and following, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Then that passage goes on, if he doesn't listen to you, go and grab one or two witnesses. If he doesn't listen, then bring it before the church. If he doesn't listen, then cast him out of the church, remove from the membership, remove from being able to partake in communion or anything like that. But the whole idea here is you're seeking to gain your brother. That is, you're seeking to, to turn them back on the right path. You, you're, you're seeking their highest interest, their best good. This is what true love looks like. This isn't every conversation you have with people. I hope, you know, some people will take, need more exhortation than others. But it means that when we see it, we see that pattern of sin in their life, we say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I, I see this going on. And, and you know, that's, that's, that's rebellion against God. I just want to encourage you to turn away from that. It can be that simple, but it's, it's good. This is loving. James 5, 19 to 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. <clears throat> now, we've been specifically talking about one another, but I would also say this is love towards non-Christians to, you know, uh, tell them, and we're, we're kind about these things. We're still generous and humble about these things. We're sinners too, right? I deserve hell just as much as anyone else out there. I do, 100%. Wages of sin is death. I've sinned many, many times. And so we should be able to talk to people very humbly and say, you just need to know the path you're on, rebellion against God, not, not trusting in Christ Jesus, is headed to hell. I told someone that, Tuesday at the skate park. And I just said, I know I'm not trying to offend you, but if I care anything at all about you, you need to know that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that this was a person who was more like uh, all-inclusive, you know, all religions lead to heaven. And, and I just said, I, I, that, I, I appreciate your uh, compassion there, but um, that's just not what Jesus said. And Jesus claimed to be God. So if Jesus, who is God, says, no one comes to the Father but by me, that, that's got to be it. And so you need Jesus. You need to repent to Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. And if you're kind about it, by the way, people don't get mad at you. Like, I just never have anyone take a swing at me or anything. And I, I say these things. you, you got to be kind, you know. Do it with gentleness and respect. Anyways, that's talking about how we talk to non-Christians because this, this love goes to them as well. 
Uh, we, we want this for them. We want them to have this amazing treasure that we have. Okay, so love that is true loves God most. Our love tank is full and we're able to truly and genuinely love people. And it obeys God's commands. It obeys God's commands. We, we do the actual highest good, not just what feels like the highest good to the person. But now we come to the third uh, aspect of, of Christian love. <coughs> we love others when obedience is not burdensome. Specifically, obedience to this command of love. When, when obedience is not burdensome, this is what makes for true, genuine salvation-proving love when obedience is not burdensome. See that in verse 5-3. Oh, there we go. Sorry, I thought I'd gone to the next slide. 5-3, and his commandments are not burdensome. So this, by this you can know you love the children of God, that you love God and obey his commandments. This is the love of God that we keep his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now I want to remind you um, this is in the context of love. This passage, this little verse, his commandments are not burdensome, uh, often you know, gets quoted uh, in other contexts, talking about just any commands. And it's true. It is a true principle that Jesus, uh, he said like in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul says in Romans 6, 17 and 18, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Yes, when we are born again, God, God's commands are, are no longer burdensome. We, we, we have this new desire to obey God and do what pleases Him. But we are specifically talking about the command of love. Here we are specifically talking about the command of love. So, we love others when loving them is not burdensome. When, when obeying the command to love them is not burdensome. You say, what do you mean burdensome? I think you know what I mean. You know that your love is, is, is burdensome when it's uh, followed by grumbling, complaining, whining, a deep sigh. <gasps> yeah, I can do it. <sighs> we roll our eyes. So again, just trying to think as practically as possible. Someone asks a favor of you. You say, well, God commanded love. <sighs> yeah, I guess I can do that. Do you think that that love had its fullest effect in that moment? Do you think it was really like just they said, wow, that warms my heart that he would do that out of duty and gritting his teeth? <laughs> no, my wife would, would not and doesn't feel loved when I act those ways. Jeff, can you, can you go get me this real quick? <sighs> I just sat down <laughs> like... Oh, so I'm not worth it. That's basically what I've just told her is you're not worth me getting up out of the chair to go get you something from the other room. Love is burdensome in that moment. But when we have God in our hearts, when we have his love filling our hearts, when we have uh, this desire to obey God's commands, to, to, 
to, to encourage, or sorry, to, to love other people, to please God by loving other people, it's no longer a burden. Like, this is an opportunity, actually, for me to serve God and to serve you. I think we would actually do really well to have the, the Chick-fil-A motto in our hearts and mouths and on our faces. You know what, what they say every time, you know, you say thank you? What do they say? Any, my pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. And ha- have you, I mean, I'm sure you've been to places, you know, where you say, hey, um, could, could, you, could you get me more salt or some ketchup? And they're just like, uh, yeah. And you're just like, oh, I'm sorry. Is, it, is me being at your restaurant bothering you? Have I gotten in your way? Did you have something better to do? It's like, I mean, seriously, like I've thought that I've said that to my wife. Like, man, I'm like us being here has really ruined our waiter's day. We are a burden to them. We would do so well to have the Chick-fil-A motto in our minds. So think about it. Next time someone, you need to do something loving and it's sacrificial, it hurts. It's maybe not what you had planned to do. My pleasure. Why? Because I'm obeying God's commands. This is my opportunity to love you from the overflow that God has put in my heart. And that's, that's true love. Love has its full effect when someone doesn't feel uh, or someone, when someone doesn't feel like they're in the way. It shows, hey, you really value me. You really care for me when love isn't burdensome. So not only does this, again, prove uh, the, the genuineness of our salvation, it's better. It's just better. It makes love more beautiful. And it has it's a, a far greater effect in that person's life. Finally, I want to give us uh, number four here. We love others when we have overcome the world. We love others best. We love others genuinely in a way that proves our salvation when we have overcome the world. We see that in verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God, so every single Christian, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, so a little explaining here. How does overcoming the world make me able to love other people more genuinely, more fully? Well, to answer that question, we we need to kind of know, well, what is the world? What are you even talking about when you say the world? Uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 16 had said this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So listen, it's about to, or you can read it up there too. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So I'm going to try to give you a quick definition of the world. The world is, is these anti-God, satanic, uh, selfish sentiments. You have uh, the desires of the flesh. This is the, the, the need, this, this lusting after pleasure, this lusting after comfort, what my flesh might experience. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to pursue. It says the desires of the eyes. That's the pursuit of stuff. 
I covet, I desire these things. I need them in order to be happy. This is what the world says. Every ad pretty much you see <coughs> says you need this thing in order to be happy. You need to get it. If you don't get it, you'll be less happy. That's the, 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 uh, sorry, the desires of the eyes. Then finally, the pride of life. This is the desire that we have to be honored, to be thought well of, that people would, would think we're great. This is the, the pride of life, that people would be impressed with us. And so there's this, I, I need you to think highly of me. I need you to think that I'm great. I need you to think that I'm funny and smart and good looking. And I, I need you to think these things about me. I need that because it will make me happier. This is the world, okay? I, I'm speaking for the world here. This is the, what the world says. And so the world says you have this one life. You have this one life, so you better experience all the fleshly pleasures you possibly can on comforts. You, you better get all the stuff you possibly can, and you, people better think highly of you because you've got just this one life. I'm going to read for you an email I got this morning. This is from a, like a fashion retailer type of thing. It sounded more neat than it is. They, just, they sell clothes and shoes and pants and stuff like that. Here's, here's what they say in the first line uh, of the email. Immortality is boring. Our task is to live the blank, the, the heck, we'll say. Our task is to live the heck out of the one life we have. That is their, their, their slogan for why you need their stuff immortality is boring. They're mocking immortality, the fact that we could have eternal life. That's boring. Our one task is to live everything out of this life, get the most out of this one life that we have. That is worldliness. Like, I mean, they could frame that thing and just put, says the world. Listen to this. When you love the things of the world, comfort, pleasure, the stuff, possessions, people to think highly of me, they better respect me, you will not be able to love people. You will not. You might use them, you know, if they are in some way helping you get those things, comfort, pleasure, esteem, then you'll love them. But what happens when they get in your way? When they are a barrier to your comfort, when they are a barrier to your pleasure, when they are a barrier to those possessions, when they are a barrier to you looking good in front of other people, what happens? Well, we don't have to guess. James actually tells us exactly what happens. I can't remember if I have this one up here. Yep, I do. James 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Then moving down to verse 4, it says there, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? <clears throat> do you see that? That if your life, passion, pleasure, pursuit is these worldly things, comfort, pleasure, possessions, honor, you will not be able to love people. It, it, when you do love them, you'll just be using them. And if they get in your way, in the way of your happiness, they're, they're going to know about it. And you'll, you'll hate them, you'll, you'll do whatever it takes to get these worldly things that you need. 
Now, we've got to think on the other, other side of this, though. How have Christians overcome the world, right? So how, how do we be people? How, how are we? Why are we people who aren't uh, driven by, chained to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life? Because it says there, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. I think I can go back to that, yeah. This is the, the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world but, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How does our faith make us loving? How does our faith in Christ make us loving? Well, many ways, but I, I would say one of the main ways that your faith makes you overcome the world and therefore able to love people sacrificially is, is in Christ, you, this isn't the one life you have to live. In Christ, this is actually the worst life you have to live. Right? I mean, it's, it's a somewhat common saying, this is the closest to hell a Christian will get. And it's true. Every day that you live on this earth is actually the closest thing to, to hell and the, the, the torment that will occur there and the hopelessness that will occur there. Right now, this is the worst it will ever be for a Christian. And so we say, I'm not going to set my hope on here. I'm not going to set my hope on this world that is passing away along with its desires. I'm not going to set my hope on, on these things that are going to break down. I set my hope on heaven, and in Christ, I have eternity. In Christ, I have eternal life. In Christ, I have fullness of joy for, and, and pleasures forevermore. Psalm, uh, I can't remember what that is, 1611 tells us. The best is yet to come, friends, and this yet to come is forever. So you do not have to milk all the pleasure, all the comfort, all the possessions, all the honor out of this life. You don't. The best is yet to come if you've trusted in Christ. And if you've trusted in Christ, you've overcome the world. And now you don't need right here, right now, temporary, fading, fleeting things to make you happy because you have a hope that, that surpasses those things. And so you are free to love. You're free to love when it's costly. You're free to love when it's sacrificial because you're not pursuing your own temporary, temporal uh, uh, pleasure, fleeting pleasure. Colossians, I don't think I have this up on the screen. I'll, I'll look real quick. Yeah, I do. Colossians chapter 1, 3 through 5. Listen, listen to how this works. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul says, I'm thankful that I, that I know that you're saved. How does he know that they're saved? Because of your love for all the saints, your love for all the Christians. And why do they have love? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I'm so curious what I put in here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 for you had compassion, or we could insert the word love. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
You were able to love. You were able to sacrifice your possessions because you knew you had a better possession and an abiding, an eternal one. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26 talks about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, this eternal reward. Friends, if you have trusted in Christ truly, you have overcome the world. You've overcome the lie of Satan that says you got to get it now or you never will. You got to enjoy it now. You got to have all the pleasure and comfort now. You got to have all the pleasures. You got to have all the experiences. You got to have people look at you and think highly of you. You've overcome all that when you know that there is this eternal reward. There is a better possession, an abiding one. There is a hope laid up for you in heaven, and that frees you to love other people. You will never sacrifice anything that won't be repaid a hundredfold in heaven. There's no comfort or pleasure you will uh, you know, miss out on in this life that you won't experience eternally forever. When we have overcome the world, we can love people truly. By the way, this is the type of love that sends people into the remotest jungles as well. They're willing to sacrifice every moment of this earthly life knowing the one they have to come. Why not? People need to know Jesus. I've got this message of Jesus. I can go tell them, but it'll hurt. It'll cost you. It'll be uncomfortable. Yeah, but I've got eternity to enjoy all that. And I'm actually storing up treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust doesn't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. It's not a bad trade, people. <laughs> you can love people. And you say, but isn't that hollow? Remember, you can love them more. You're finally taking your eyes off yourself. You're, you're able to love them from overflow. You're able to love them without, you know, these barriers of my own pleasures, my own wants getting in the way. You can finally do as uh, Romans uh, 12.10 says, says, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. You can finally do what Philippians says. I don't have this in my notes, so I'm going off memory. But to consider others more significant than yourself, to, to look not only <clears throat> to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You can do that in Christ. If you don't have Christ, you can't do these things. Now, that's not the worst of your problems, by the way, but it is important. you you can't love people fully unless you've truly trusted in Christ. But if you have, you have an amazing power to love people better. So, just kind of reflection. The, the point of this was to test our love. Is it genuine love that proves the genuineness of our faith? Is this sort of love in your heart and evident in your life? Do you love God most? Do you obey God's commands? Is obedience joyous, not burdensome? I've kind of got a list there. Have you overcome the world? <clears throat> are, are these things real in your life? If, if these are real in your life, then give thanks to God. 
<laughs> give praise to God. He has made you born again. He has implanted his love in you. It's not, not anything you've done or earned. Then I would say pursue these things more. These are the, this is the type of love that pleases God and will, will be truly good for others. And if you don't see this sort of love in your life, then you can come to God today. You can come to God today and say, God, I want to have my sins forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took those sins on the cross. And I want to have new life in me. I want to be able to love in a way that pleases you, God. You can do that today. You can trust in Jesus' finished work and have that love in your heart. This is a beautiful thing. The love of God spread through us. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you that you haven't left us to wonder what love should look like in the life of a Christian. It's so confusing when it's so easy just to say we have love. It's so confusing when the world is telling us love looks different than you say. It's confusing when love may be burdensome and when we have all these other desires. But God, we, we thank you that if we, we've truly trusted in your son, then we have this type of love going on in our lives. And I thank you that we can surround ourselves with other Christians who can also love us in these ways and everything can be brought together in perfect harmony. What a beautiful thing to have your mutual love between Christians. God, I pray for any who recognize from this sermon or from your word and the, the way you're working on their heart, that they don't truly have salvation. God, I, I pray for them that they would see Christ crucified and risen as their greatest treasure, as the one who really did pay for their sins and really does want to make them new and really does want to give them eternal life and spend eternity in joy with them. God, let them see that treasure and accept it by faith. God, for the rest of us, we, we do praise you for the love you've put in our hearts. And I ask that you would help us to pursue it more, God. Let us set our eyes on you so that we can love from overflow, so that we can overcome our, our fleshly desires and the desires of this world. And so we can love in a way that pleases you and is truly good for others. This I pray in your son's holy name. Amen.